If you've got a business who want to start a podcast, how do you tend to approach that from scratch? I think it's going back to basics in the first sense. Who's your target audience? What's the pain point? And trying to be helpful. So really, all of the content we're producing these days has that purpose of being helpful to the target audience, you know, finding the solution to the problem they're having, and being very specific about who we're talking to. So then you can set the branding of the podcast, you can set the tone of voice, the style, whether it was an interview or a monologue or something else going on. And then thinking ahead to, can we repurpose them and get get the maximum bang for our buck. Hi everyone and welcome to the Content Marketing Podcast brought to you by Hedge, the finance content agency. Today I'm joined on the show by Martin Bamford from Bear Content. Martin, thanks so much for coming on. It's my pleasure. I'm looking forward to this conversation. Yeah, yeah, definitely. So you and I, you and I have kind of known of, known each other for, for a while when we were both not working in, in content marketing. So this is kind of interesting that the first time we're actually sitting down and have a discussion about uh, on a podcast is 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 about content marketing rather than finance, which we uh, where we're both from. Yeah, absolutely. And I had um, a 20 plus year career as a financial planner and uh, got bored of it about five or six years ago. I think it's fair to say. I'm, I'm allowed to say got bored of it. Never got bored of the clients. <laughs> the clients are wonderful people. I'm still in touch with lots of them, but uh, got yeah. bored of the, the sort of the day-to-day activity of financial planning, retirement planning, managing investment portfolios, etc. And my passion had always been content creation. So within uh, within that business, Informed Choice, where I'm still a shareholder and director and still have an involvement, I was you know, writing blogs, producing podcasts, even made a feature-length documentary about retirement planning. Uh, and that was the bit I enjoyed doing. So opportunity arose to spend all of my time doing it and grab that with both hands and went for it. Yeah, awesome. Awesome. So tell me a little bit more about that to kind of start with. Tell me a bit about more about what you're doing now. So what does your content agency do? What's your day-to-day kind of look like? Yeah, so Bear Content, um, founded in 2017 and initially founded as Bamford Media, very grandiose title, you know, given my surname, etc. <laughs> um, and when we started, it was a case of we can do everything. And I got very excited and we went out there and started building websites, managing social channels. A- anyone that came to us, we'd say yes, effectively. And that uh, wasn't always a good result. So there were, there were plenty of occasions then when uh, we took on you know, a bit off more we can chew and uh, t- took on projects which we didn't really have the, the, the expertise or the capacity to deal with and then uh, this lovely little pandemic came along and uh, it sort of changed our worldview a little bit so um, we were all working from home had a few members of staff on furlough and we sat down at the start of 2021 and just yeah, the three of us who were the sort of a core team which is the team I've got today said well, what do we actually enjoy doing um, what are the bits we really get value, the clients get value from, we get value from. And we, we narrowed it down to three things, really, content creation, but producing videos, taking photos and editing, producing podcasts. So we, we are a, a fairly niche now content creation agency that does those things, video, photography, podcast editing, and much, much happier for it. So before, when you first started the, the agency, then you weren't just doing content marketing, it was more of a, a broad, broad digital agency? Yeah, I'd, I'd say that's a fair, fair assessment of it. I mean, we were doing everything from yeah, brand development, uh, strategy, as I say, yeah, social media management, uh, print advertising, writing, you know, every everything you can imagine. If it, if it sort of had a marketing connotation to it, we'd say yes. 
Um, and, and yeah, mm-hmm. word, word, word for the wise here, don't do that. That's a really bad idea. I think you, <laughs> yeah, you don't, don't say yes to everything. Have a much, much clearer idea. But I think any new business does this. I guess they do it, which is uh, wanting to please everyone and uh, fear of saying no to things in case nothing else comes along afterwards. When the reality is, the more yeah. you say no to, and the more you focus on one particular area, the more you get known for it. This is this is the advice we give to people, isn't it? About yeah, picking a niche mm. and really pursuing it. Uh, and uh, yeah, as a marketing agency owner in the early days, I wasn't very good at taking my own advice. Mm. Well, the old saying is, if you speak to everybody, you speak to nobody. Yeah, yeah, and that's exactly what happened. Yeah. So, what kind of um, what kind of clients do you tend to work with now? Then, now that you've now that you have niched down and narrowed down a little bit. So we we label that as uh, small businesses in the Surrey Hills area. So where we're based, which is um, Cranley in Surrey, is right at the foot of the Surrey Hills area of outstanding natural beauty, and it, it sort of stretches along that ridge for I don't know thirty miles or something. It includes quite a few large towns. Um, and has a real focus on what I guess you'd call artisan creators. So we've got a fantastic um, you know, um, wine and gin community around here, lots of makers, lots of producers, but also lots of professional services businesses. And our, our sort of location just outside of London, but within striking distance, I think makes that a really p- appealing geography for services businesses because they get clients who don't want to pay London prices that probably live down here and commute into town, but you know, want to have that more local relationship with a professional advisor. So we, we're working with across a range of sectors. We're not we're not sort of niching in the sense that we're saying you know, we only deal with dentists or something. So we're working that whole range. Mm-hmm. But geographically, we've got that niche, which is businesses in the Surrey Hills. And of course, we're still working with customers, clients you know, across the UK from when we first started, those like long established relationships. So we've got one on the Isle of Man, one down in Dorset, um, uh, yeah, which are long established client relationships. Yeah, interesting. So you've kind of taken a fairly different approach to what you see out there a lot, right? Because a lot of the time, I'm gonna, I want to get into this a little, a little bit more, but when you see kind of content agencies, you know, often it's a focus on uh, written content, blogs, social media content, that sort of thing. So number one, you've gone into video photography and podcasting, and I want to talk through all those in a little bit. Um, but you've also gone local. And again, most, I know my agency, for example, we have clients all over the world and a lot of kind of the the advice or online discussion you see is, is around that, whereas you guys have gone local. That's that's quite an interesting uh, avenue you've taken. Was that like a conscious decision or has that just been because you're focusing on the kind of content you, you know you can't you can't take photos of someone in a different country without a lot of expense so is that just kind of yeah. naturally flowing that way yeah it, it was a conscious decision and a lot of this ties into you know lifestyle choice as well so um i mm-hmm. often say to my colleagues that you know this business is a bit of a, a vehicle for my own happiness because i've reached that stage in my life when you know we've built a successful financial planning business of which i'm still a shareholder director um I technically don't need to work, you know, I don't I don't need to come into the office every day and do this. But I would get bored out my skull if I wasn't doing something and creating something and you know, doing something positive. So it, it is about, you know, mm. picking and choosing the sort of work that keeps me happy, keeps me engaged, satisfies that creative urge in me. Um, and from a lifestyle point of view as well, you know, I've got three kids and I, I want to be able to take them into school in the morning, be around in the afternoons when they're off. Um, and, and that's simple things for me. Like I get invited into central London a lot. It's only 35, 40 miles from here, but it's a pig of a journey mm-hmm. on the on the train and tubes and the rest yeah, of it yeah. and get there. So I, I you know, consciously choose not to do that. So if we get inquiries from clients in London, despite how close that is, I won't be in the main getting on a train and going up there. 
Uh, so this ability to mm. work, you know, my house is three miles down the road from this studio I've got. Um, it's typically the clients we're working with are within a 10, sometimes 20 mile radius. It's, it is a lifestyle choice very much so. I think that's a good, that's a good takeaway for anybody in business really, isn't it? Regardless of what the business is in a lot of ways, it's like you can get very well paying clients, but at the end of the day, if they're going to make you miserable dealing with them all day, every day, then it's, it's, it's not the way to, to try and grow, is it? No, absolutely. I I think you have to, you have to prioritize some things. And for a lot of people, I know the pandemic put this into sharp focus. So they were, they were having a bit more time to sit back and think, actually, how am I spending my time? How am I balancing life between work and family life, et cetera, and leisure? And hopefully making a conscious decision. My, my real fear is coming back out of the pandemic, people have just forgotten about that because people have got very short memories and they're not reflecting mm. on you know, the good bits. And obviously the pandemic was an awful, awful experience for so many, but there were positives. You know, this, this ability to reconnect with our community, to reconnect with nature. And I don't want to leave that behind. You know, I, I during the pandemic, when we were all in lockdown the first time and we were allowed out for you know, that one bit of exercise a day, I was discovering these most fantastic trails right on my doorstep that I had no idea existed despite mm. having lived in our village for 40 years. And things like that, I, I think we let go of so easily when life returns to normal and we go back to this sort of hectic, frantic pace that we, we were all established. Yeah, definitely very easy to fall back into it. Mm. Um, so I want to talk about the uh, the areas that that you cover as 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 a content creation agency because like I say they they're not the when it, when I when I think of content creation I think a lot of people be in the same boat as this from a from a marketing standpoint we think of you know your SEO blogs we think mm-hmm. of white papers case studies you know LinkedIn content written content essentially um, whereas you're focusing on video photography and and the podcast. Talk me through those one by one. Let's start with video. How do you how do you work with clients from a video standpoint, and how do you build that into their into their content marketing strategy? It's a great question, <laughs> and people always say it's a great question when they want a couple of seconds to think about the answer, don't they? Um, oh yeah, that's all right. Take the time. <laughs> that's, that's that's my trick there. Um, it's yeah, it, it varies by client. So different clients obviously got different requirements when it comes to the video that works for them. Some. Are terrified of coming on camera so it's about you know video content which doesn't feature them as the the primary face of it effectively but we think there are yeah. you know several different types of video that most businesses need certainly some sort of promotional showcase video to really act as a hero to say no this is us uh, and it's that value of the video in in building establishing trust because we're in this world now where yeah, AI is is becoming a dominant factor in lots of content creation. And it's very hard, I think, mm. to distinguish between reality and what a computer's doing. Um, we're not far away yeah. from the possibility of this sort of conversation being video and audio generated by AI. And it will become impossible to distinguish between a real human conversation and yeah, two computers having a chat effectively. I think we're, that's within a year or two, potentially, that's happening. So there's, there's some scary stuff happening behind the scenes, but I think that makes, at the moment, an opportunity for real, authentic video content where people know you're looking at and talking with the real-life person behind the business. Uh, and it's, it's that old mm. adage of people by people. So the ability to look somebody in the whites of their eyes and real get a sense of what they're like as a human and they do exist, they are real. So so sort of hero showcase type videos, Q&A videos, so answering common questions but in video format, 
client testimonial videos. It, it's, it varies between businesses what they need, but the first conversation is yeah, really you know, who's your audience, what's your purpose, what are we trying to do here, what are we trying to achieve, and what's the call to action, and then building a suite of video assets that supports those marketing goals. Yeah, that's really interesting. I think that the um, I think if you're a service based business or a product based business, like it's always it's always made a lot of sense, right, to, to leverage video to to show what you do, to to have your clients on camera saying how amazing you are, all that sort of stuff. One thing that I'm definitely noticing is that I, th- uh, I think we're going to see a lot more importance of video for all businesses, even even businesses like SaaS businesses, um, you know, fully digital businesses, because as you said, you know. Written content is getting, I mean, I don't want to go deep into talking about chat GPT because it's, it's a bit boring, isn't it? It's like all the people <laughs> in content marketing are talking about it right now. But yeah, okay, it's interesting. You know, it's, it's going to get better, all that sort of stuff. And there needs to be differ, differentiation. And something we've heard for years and years and years really is if you have a blog, one way to make the blog more powerful is to, you know, include video in that. So if yeah, you want to yeah. talk about, you know, the... 10 trends for fintech in 2023 yeah write the blog blog post but record a youtube video mm. do you think that's something we're going to see more and more of over the over time yeah absolutely and it, for me and this is a, a big mission for us so we we have a library of blog posts that we've written as an agency we use as a, a lead generator effectively and one of our big goals for the first half of this year is going back finding the most popular content and the best content and repurposing it as video because once you've written a blog it's effectively yeah. it's not your script it's your outline and it can become a video, it can become a podcast very easily. Um, and it, it's just, I think, changing the format. Everyone um, has different preferences when it comes to how they consume content. So some people love to read, some people love to watch, some people love to listen, some are all three or a mix of those. But unless you're catering to all three of those silos, it, you're missing out on potentially two thirds of your market. So I love written content. You know, I'm mm. a published author. I've written blogs for forever. Um, I still love writing. I write every day. I make a real point of writing every day, probably several thousand words a day for myself, for clients. But I think unless you're doing that mixed approach where you're saying, you know, there's, there's, there's visual learners, there's you know, people who enjoy the different formats, you're, you're leaving a huge amount on the table. So it's, I guess the thing with video is it's like it is a bit more daunting. Yeah. because for for the person on, on in front of the camera right so you're having to put yourself out there a lot more than you you need to with with other forms of content what are some of the things that you talk through with your with your clients who are maybe a bit nervous or unsure about how it's all going to play out by bringing content uh, video into their content marketing strategy i i think um it's yeah, experience has helped a lot with this so i was terrible in front of camera some people might stay I still am but I was awful in front of camera in terms of my nerves and things when I first got started with it same going on radio and doing podcast interviews um, remember the first time I went on live radio and that, that sort of minute or two before the red light goes on to say on air my heart rate was through the roof and yeah, <laughs> I was a nervous wreck but the more you do it the easier it gets so and obviously that's that's not much um, comfort to many clients who are just getting a sort of one opportunity one day of recording um, but it does get easier the more you do it a few things we suggest so one is you don't try and script word for word what you're going to say and memorize it so a lot of people end up stumbling over their words when they're trying to get you know, word perfect on a script. So have a few bullet points, a few key points you want to get across. 
we, we try and make lots of our filming very conversational. So a bit like this. So somebody prompts you with a question, the person answers it in a minute or so, and then it's all in the edit because we're using multi-camera setups. We've got this ability to switch between cameras and leap over the ums, the ahs, the mistakes. The, the other bit that really helps me and, and helps a lot of our clients when it comes to filming is we just press record and we keep rolling. So we don't take a new take each time there's a stumble or a mistake. In mm-hmm. the early days when I was filming yep. myself for YouTube videos, I mean, it was, it was a horrendous experience, some of it, uh, to the extent I'd press <laughs> record and sit there and just stare in silence at the camera for 10 minutes and not be able to get anything out. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it was really that. I'm daunting. not ready yet. I'm not ready no, yet. No, 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 no. And just, you know, just, just questioning every life choice I'd make. Um, but yeah. this, what I'd realized was that when I did make a mistake, as you, know, you know, invariably do when you're talking, if you stop and get all angry and frustrated about, oh, and you can't do it, and then that throws you off for the rest of the recording. Whereas if you just stop, pause for two or three seconds, pick up from the start of that line again, and then rely on the edit to bring it all together, it's much simpler. So, yeah, we've we've got tips and tricks we use with our clients to make that experience a lot more comfortable. Plus, I think we don't go in and daunt them. We we don't take sort of massive amounts of kiss in there. We try and keep it as low profile as possible. And hopefully we're quite mm. friendly, approachable people. We have a nice chat with them first and get them comfortable. Yeah. I think that's one of the biggest misconceptions that I found once I started creating a bit of content, especially for YouTube, is you know, you watch a 10, 12 minute YouTube video and yeah, they've got graphics and cuts and things, but you kind of have this perception that they've just rolled 12 minutes straight off the dome, yeah. no preparation, like yeah. just smooth as you like. And the reality is once you do it yourself and you see the end product compared to the mess that it looked like when you record it, you realize that, no, actually, you know, everybody is uncomfortable to a certain degree, enough enough so that they can't just do a 12-minute monologue without messing it up. And I think that's that's something you only learn once you start doing it a bit. Yeah, when, when, I, when I first started doing my YouTube channel, so I spent a few years, mostly during lockdown and things, you know, experimenting with a personal finance YouTube channel so we could learn and, and apply those lessons to our clients. I was often including the sort of the outtakes, the blooper reel at the end, a sort of bit of black and white edit at the end of the video, because I think it's important that we don't, we don't try and sort of you know pull the wool over people's eyes and say you know we are the finished polished article none of us are even even these guys and girls out there with you know millions of followers and subscribers uh, it takes time it takes practice they do make mistakes we all make mistakes uh, when we're recording content and what you get to see mm. is often it's it's like social media you see the highlights reel from people's lives you don't see every sort of you know the warts and all look behind this behind the curtain and what does the workflow tend to look like? Do most of your clients, are most of your clients doing kind of one-off things or not one-off necessarily, but more ad hoc like events and that sort of thing? Or do you have clients who do kind of regular monthly or weekly video content as well? Uh, a real mix. So a few that you know, are doing it weekly, well, one or two videos a week, um, where the mm-hmm. workflow for those ones really involves us you know, having given them some advice on the kit. And in some cases, you know, they, they're passionate about the kit. They're quite geeky and sort of want to explore different options themselves. But then sending us all the files mm-hmm. and letting us apply a bit of a uh, bit of discretion when it comes to the edit and the production of it. Um, mm-hmm. Other cases where it's more one-off ad hoc, uh, it's all the way through from pre-production, planning, scripting, storyboarding, all the way through to yeah, the shooting day, the editing, the reviews with the client for the different edits and things. So a mix. We love both of them. Yeah, we love the ongoing stuff and the regular stuff because you, you get to really understand the client's tone of voice and what they're trying to get across, their style, their brand, everything else. 
Um, but the one-off projects are so exciting. Yeah, we did a few last year, which um, again, yeah, just give you that real sense of satisfaction, particularly at the end of the filming day. You know, it's all all in the can, all done. You're happy with what you've got, and then just that anticipation of waiting to see the edit and seeing how it all came across. So yeah, love both equally. So let's uh, let's start talking a bit about podcasts then, right? So podcasts are really interesting. Obviously, I, lo- I love podcasting. This is the second podcast that I've had uh, before. Um, we saw massive amounts of new podcasts in 2020, I guess, when everyone was in lockdown. That's when I started my first one. And actually, I saw some statistics recently that showed that since then, you know, there was like a million new podcasts created in 2020. That went down to like six, six, seven hundred thousand the year, year after, mm. and in 2021, and then last year that was down further um, to sort of two, three hundred thousand, I think. And this is worldwide new podcasts. Um, give me your take on podcasting. Do you think people have kind of rushed in expecting too much? Do you think that people are just not sticking around for long? You obviously are a fan. Where do you see it kind of fitting into a content marketing strategy? Yeah, it's, I mean, podcasting is one of the earlier types of content that I was creating. So I was the first financial advisor to launch a podcast all the way back in, I think, 2007. So going back quite a long way, back in the really early days of podcasting where we were sort of hand coding RSS feeds and things. Uh, and then came back to it about mm-hmm. seven or eight years ago and, and made a real yeah, real fist of it at that point. It, it's been an interesting few years for podcasting. I mean, as you say, a huge number got launched throughout the pandemic. But because people weren't commuting, they weren't going to the gym, they weren't going on public transport in the main, the, the audience for podcasting declined at the same time. And yeah, we saw, mm. and, and for a number of our clients, saw podcast listenership just go off the edge of a cliff effectively at that point. So right, it wasn't okay. because there was lots more competition. It's because there wasn't the opportunity to go out and listen. As I mentioned earlier, now I was yeah. going out for my daily walk and I was listening to podcasts at that point, discovering some new stuff. But pod- podcasting has always had a discoverability issue. So unless you're one of mm. the sort of top 0.1% of podcasts that gets national news coverage in the newspapers, features, etc., and you're hosted by you know, a dragon from Dragon's Den, for example, just to give one example of it, <laughs> it's, it's very hard to build an audience. It, it does, it, you almost have to find it listener by listener. Um, and in the early days mm. of yeah, my podcast, I was going out there and convincing individual people to sign up, taking phones off them, opening the podcast app, finding my podcast <laughs> and hitting subscribe. You know, you, you have to work hard to build that audience. Uh, now, and you, you ask the question, sort of, where do you think it fits, and where will it fit into the sort of mix? I think it's it's back down to repurposing. So if you're making a podcast, mm. it sort of makes sense to make it a video podcast. So you're collecting mm-hmm. video assets that you can turn into short sort of clips, videograms or audiograms. Um, and yeah, just view it as part of the broader mix. I think a standalone audio podcast launched today, you would find it much, much harder to gain traction than you would have done five years ago. So having to approach it yeah. slightly differently and as, as you are here recording the video content and having use of that video asset to make alongside it. Yeah, because that's, that's actually what I wanted to ask you about uh, uh, about the video side of things as well because you know the content creation is only half the half the process really, isn't it? Like at the end of the day, you can have the best content in the world. If you're not distributing that, then mm. it's all a bit, bit of a waste of time. So I guess from a from the repurposing of the podcast and also the video content that you do, how do you tend to go around uh, or go about repurposing that? It's it's really about... And sorry, and distributing it, I should say, yeah. 
Yeah, it's, it, you're quite right. You know, creation is half the battle, probably less than half the battle. You've got to have a quality bit of content before you can promote it and share it. But unless you promote and share it, it's sort of you know a tree falls in the woods and no one's there to hear it and make a sound sort of thing. So <laughs> yeah. it's yeah, it's it has to be effectively distributed. Um, so every single piece of content we're creating, we're looking at repurposing opportunities. We're looking at the ability to yeah, extract quotes. And again, going back to here, we, we won't dwell too much on AI, but the ability now to run a podcast or a video through a system like otter.ai and get a transcript almost immediately means you can very effectively go mm. through it and find the standout quotes, collaborate with team members who can look at it as well. So as simple as making quote cards for sharing on the different social media platforms, just little pull quotes from the conversation you know if by some miracle i happen to say something witty and you know fantastic during this conversation jason you can take that as a quote stick it on a graphics card and that entices people to listen to the whole conversation uh, i'm chopping it up yeah audiograms and videograms are really effective so you know videogram 30 to 60 seconds of the video extract with uh, captions because increasingly now people when they're watching video content on social media platforms are not listening with the sound on they might be lying in bed next to their partner yeah. they might have a tv on in the background it has to be captioned otherwise you've lost that battle and then the audiograms where you've got the sort of moving waveform along the bottom again with captions again a piece of the conversation that entices people to listen to more and they think well that 30 seconds was really insightful really interesting really useful i need to go and find that podcast and listen to the whole episode but I'd say for every single podcast, every single video, we should be chopping them up in that way. Yeah. I mean, I think that's the secret weapon of podcasts, isn't it? Like if you ask somebody to, you know, a senior person in a business or somebody, anyone in a business really, because we've all got like a, a to-do list as long as there are. If you ask them to sit down and record a 10-minute video for YouTube or enough enough of a video to be chopped down into a 10-minute video, you know, half an hour or whatever, um, and then you ask them to record three TikToks a week, you know, yeah. that's going to take like a big chunk of time out of someone's day. And I know myself when I've tried to do like one TikTok a day, for example, I went through a phase of trying to do that. And I, I found that I was spending a ridiculous amount of time mm. doing the thing, which is not my core business. It's supposed to be a marketing for my core business. Yeah. Um, and I think the podcasting is almost a cheat code to that. Like if you can do it the right way, you can get the audio, which is kind of fine. Um, but then you can get the long form YouTube videos. You can get all those short form, you know, video content. As you said, you can get quotes and things which you can use for tweets or whatever. Like it, it's it's a bit of a superpower if you build it into the the strategy the right way yeah and and arguably it takes a lot less prep than the other things you mentioned so because it is mm. conversational um and I'll, I'll yeah hands up i don't go into podcast interviews having made pages of notes or done anything in the way of research because i'm talking about a subject i'm living day in day out and it's the same when we yeah we speak to yeah. business owners um it's it's a lot of the you know the carrying of the weight in this podcast conversation is you jason it's you asking the right questions it's you haven't done your prep and it's the same if we're creating podcast or video content for clients it's us going in having done the research having prepared the questions we want to ask just having that experience as an interviewer you know having personally now done you know five six hundred podcast interviews uh, knowing the sorts of questions like us listening to what the person's saying so it prompts further follow-up questions mm. this all you know is, is the secret mm. source really yeah. yeah 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 definitely so if you've got a business who has come to you um they they want to 
start a podcast or yeah, we'll, we'll stick with podcasting. They want to build a podcast into their business. How do you tend to approach that from scratch? Like they've never done it before. They know that podcasting is a great tool. What do you sort of, what steps do you walk them through to make sure that they're kind of getting that set up and, and launching it in the right way? I think it's it's very similar to any sort of content creation, you know, whether that's a podcast or a YouTube channel or just wanting to create content to share on social. I mean, it's going back to basics in the first sense. It's, you know, who, who's your target audience? What's the pain point? You know, what's keeping them awake at night? And trying to be helpful so really all of the content we're producing these days has that purpose of being helpful to the target audience because that's why that's what people are searching for they're searching for help they're searching for answers in some cases they're searching for entertainment and education but really it's about that help it's about finding the solution to the problem they're having and being very specific about who we're talking to so then you can set the branding mm. of the podcast, you can set the tone of voice, you can set the length of it, yeah, the, the style, whether it was an interview or a monologue or something else going on, or, or more like a radio documentary where you've got different segments you're bringing in. There's, there's so many ways of approaching it. Um, and then thinking ahead to well, how once we've recorded these, can we repurpose them and get the maximum bang for our buck? So this is not just about that 30 minutes or an hour set, sitting down, having a conversation, recording it. This is about what happens next. And for most small business owners, mm. certainly the ones we're working with, that's where we're doing the heavy lifting for them. We're you know, taking that 30 minutes or that hour of conversation and we're turning it into lots of different assets that they can use for a month or two. So it's it's a really good use of their time. Yeah, yeah, definitely. You know, I was talking to somebody um, just just on Friday, I think it was, and they they shared something interesting with me. It was talking about we were talking about content creation and stuff. Obviously, they they um, they run a fintech business, but they were saying that um, something that they've come across is a content company recording an all hands meeting. So once a week, uh, they had the, the team was remote, so they had uh, the once a week they'd go on uh, you know a Zoom call or something. The CEO, the founder, the senior people could sort of run through what's been happening with the business, what the week yeah. has thrown up, you know, wins, that kind of thing. Um, and because they knew that that's being recorded, they obviously present that in a bit more of a mm. presenty way rather than just casual uh, Zoom catch up. And then they then take that and chop that up into content. I thought that was really interesting. I'd not kind of heard that idea before, but I can see how that could be really, really valuable for uh, sharing with your target audience, like what you guys are doing, what new things are coming down the pipeline, that sort of thing. Yeah, I, mean, I think there's a few things in that. I mean, one is everyone likes to see behind the scenes. So, like, it was almost a little bit voyeuristic. You know, we want to be able to see what's really going on. As you say, there's a certain amount of that being slightly staged, slightly fake, because they know they're on camera, they know they're being recorded. So, yeah, it's not going to be as authentic as it would be if you were just a fly on the wall. But we, we love it. We love the authenticity of that and that ability to be, you know, part of the part of a development part of the story um the other thing there is it is so much easier just to document what's happening than to plan and create content in the first place so i mean gary vaynerchuk mm. from new york is the master of this you know he he has a camera yeah. crew that follow him around day to day and just they capture an insane amount of content and of course it happens that he's a very charismatic individual he's meeting with very high profile people he's doing very exciting things but that's all yeah. conscious you know he's, he's doing that on purpose but that having someone mm. there to capture what you're up to day to day um, I think it's a lesson we can all take away and think, okay, what what elements of my daily life could I document rather than think ahead to, yeah, I need to go into a studio, sit down, have the lights on, hair and makeup, microphone, et cetera. Yeah. You know, clip a little um, you know, wireless microphone onto yourself, have a somebody or, or have a camera set up all the time 
document the really interesting bits of your life and there's your content creation mm. yeah definitely i think even if even if you're talking about i guess the more traditional forms of content like the the blog post and that sort of thing like again it doesn't have to be everything doesn't have to be either a completely unique thought leadership piece or a super keyword optimized seo it can just be today i tried this new software in my workflow it's actually really cool or it's actually really shit this is why here you go this is my thoughts on it like that stuff is really valuable because it is authentic and real and it's just part yeah. of what you're doing every day i, I can give you a, a works example of this so I, i've made a conscious effort throughout january to post daily on linkedin and i've been uh, mm-hmm. you know researching my topics i've been batching the writing of those linkedin posts i've been optimizing them etc cetera, etc cetera. on saturday morning um i took my wife to a physio because she broke a leg about uh, two months ago so she's having some treatment there we went next door my son and i to a pub to get a coffee and i had my camera with me because i try and carry it everywhere and we were playing around with the camera he took a lovely picture of me drinking coffee so i posted it saturday night on linkedin with just a quick throwaway thought about you know i, I always want to go out for coffee i'm a bit of a coffee snob but i never ever go to costa starbucks nero i always try and go to the independent yeah, retailer and get proper quality coffee from a, a local business it is by far my most engaged piece of linkedin <laughs> content this month i post it on a saturday night which is when everyone tells you not to post yeah. on linkedin because no one uses linkedin over yeah. the weekends it wasn't planned it wasn't carefully edited thankfully there's no typos in it i found yet um and it, it's the one that's performed the best yeah, yeah. We we overthink yeah. this a lot. We think we have to make everything polished and perfect and planned. Reality is, people want to see the real life. They want to see authenticity. Yeah, yeah, one hundred percent. And I think that's the that's the ultimate message with, with with any any marketing really, content marketing, digital ads, whatever. Like we don't understand ourselves well enough to understand why something works i remember Mm. listening to a podcast that was talking about political advertising in um in the u.s and they were saying how like the trump campaign would use do facebook ads and they would use like 200 300 400 different versions of copy Mm. with you know italics on one word no italics on the other one slightly different shade of red slightly different shade of blue whatever all these different permutations and then they would simply look at okay what's the top 10 top performing 10 percent cut the rest do those okay of those what's the top and no one would be able to tell you why that particular shade of red performed better than that one and that's kind of why you've just got to say this is the strategy this is what we're going to do we're going to put all the content out there and then just refine it and 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 kind of um, improve it as it goes based on the feedback you're getting Really, that's all you can do, isn't it? Yeah, I, I used to think there was a formula behind virality, and that if you if you followed the certain steps in the right order and did it well, then you were almost guaranteed a viral video, viral podcast, viral blog, whatever it might be, viral LinkedIn post. It's not. It's it's so much of it is dumb luck, and it's showing up. It's it's putting out enough yeah. different things and experimenting as you go, and it's not necessarily experimenting with the goal of understanding why something worked. I think we can always look backwards and join the dots and say that went viral because so uh, early 2021, a mate of mine who runs a cafe in the village um, posted a photo on his Facebook of a couple of guys outside. It's the first day we were allowed to have outdoor dining again. And these two chaps, Mm -hmm. regular customers of his pre-pandemic showed up and they sat outside and had a full English breakfast and it started snowing. And he just took a very bad photo of them sitting in the snow eating their full English. Um, I I was getting ready for work that morning, checked with him, it was okay to share it, stuck it on my Twitter and accredited it to him. 
And a few people picked it up. Piers Morgan retweeted it. Um, don't like the guy, but he's got a huge audience. And within an hour or so, this thing had gone completely bonkers and out of control to the extent that I lost <laughs> yeah. at least 24 hours of my life responding to messages from journalists and you know, checking back with the yeah. cafe owner that it was okay. It was on the you know, front page of newspapers. It went on every news channel in the world. It, it was a rubbish photo, and he'll admit it was a rubbish photo taken with not even a modern smartphone. Uh, poorly framed, poorly composed, poorly lit, everything. But it captured that moment. And again, we tried to dissect yeah. that photo and the moment of virality and say, no, why was it so popular? Why did it succeed? And we think we sort of pulled out the elements, you know, the timeliness and um, the sort of the, the stoicism, the British culture that was shown in this photo. And it, yeah. was, it was about a moment in time. But I, I don't think you could ever repeat that. You couldn't plan it and repeat it necessarily, unless you tried to do it you know, another thousand times and you might get lucky once. So, yeah, it's, I, I find this stuff fascinating. Yeah, definitely. I mean, that takes that takes us nicely into the, the last thing I want to talk to about talk to you about really, which is which is photography, right? Mm-hmm. So again, this is a very uh, I guess unusual aspect of your agency compared to others. You know, normally you have professional photographers who will specialize in you know their area of photography, but that doesn't normally come into the content creation strategy unless you're talking about uh, you know restaurants, uh, mm-hmm. companies where the visual aspect of your your product or service is, is a huge part of it. Tell me a bit about how you bring photography into the content strategy for for the businesses you work with. So the way we approached it, so I'm a keen photographer. Um, I picked up my first proper camera you know, 25 years ago to go on safari in South Africa and haven't really put it down since. So uh, you know, I'm, I'm a, a gadget geek. Uh, I love every single lens, camera body. I've even started sort of you know, acquiring cameras now from the 1950s to play with. So you know, it's <laughs> nice. anything camera related I'm getting into. But we, we approached it with the view that uh, it, it's very helpful to have that ability in-house so not just for traditional photography Mm -hmm. but also i'm a a qualified and insured drone pilot now so whereas in the past you'd have to go and you'd have to identify and hire a drone pilot and include that in the content creation process which can be very expensive and also it's another body to sort of supervise Mm -hmm. on the day etc we've brought that all under one roof so for our clients where we're going off and we're doing filming for example i'll also be taking stills photos um, so they're getting they're getting more bang for their buck effectively they're getting the video or the podcast content but they're also getting professional photos that they can use and share on different platforms plus i just love taking photos i think you know it's it's just that ability mm. to you know tell stories and um yeah freeze moments in time which is so important so powerful um yeah, for a lot of people, you know, professional photography, I think it's perceived as being outside of their reach. It's something that involves, you know, mm. someone coming along, a studio setting, you know, lighting, the rest of it. Um, yeah, we, we do an awful lot of event coverage um, for our clients and for others, and also creating bespoke stock imagery. So my, one of my biggest bugbears mm-hmm. is when I look at websites, and you look through it, and you, you can spot a mile off the photos that came from pexels or shutterstock or getty or something they're just overused whereas most businesses and i did this a couple of times last year for fintechs most businesses have got enough going on in their office on a daily basis for me to go in for an hour or two capture stuff which is bespoke stock and then they can update their website with real life people real life working environments and make it actually personal to who they are and it's, it's the same when you see any financial firm and it's got the london skyline even though they're based in nottingham or somewhere so you know it's, it's making it <laughs> authentic and real to their location to their people even better if we can include clients in that process as well and capture photos of them but no i think photography professional photography is just such a powerful tool when it comes to content and in so many cases, it's it's overlooked or just not given enough you know, 
enough value uh hence people using sort of cheesy and overused stock imagery instead of professional stuff yeah it will be interesting to see how that that um that changes over time because i'm i mean i'm guilty of using stock images on my website but i, I spot them a mile off myself now because yeah. you know I'm, I'm constantly looking for one i've not seen before because uh, <laughs> yes, yeah. there's sort of there's like there's like 10 or 20 that you just see everywhere it's like hands on a laptop or hands next to a coffee cup and mm. that sort of stuff so yeah i think again as as ai and you know um the more generic content becomes easier and easier to produce. It's all these little things that are going to differentiate. Like I guess, and again, going back to even a SaaS business or a fintech or a wealth management firm, like if you're on their website and you're seeing pictures of people in an office or pictures of a person on a phone or drinking a coffee, and then you have a face-to-face or a video call or whatever with the person, and it is the same person, it just just all adds a little bit to your kind of company persona doesn't it yeah it's all it's establishing trust and establishing that that sort of confidence to deal with somebody because uh, again i've Mm. I've got so many bugbears i'd call them but when i look at websites so many things i look through and think why why have you done it like that so the number of websites we review where they haven't put photos of the key team members on so even names in some cases so you're sort of going in completely as a new prospect going in completely blind to that company you don't know who you're going to be speaking to Mm. what they look like whether they're like you or like someone else and yeah, whether you can identify with them because that's from a human point of view that's so important so that missing in yeah. so many cases you know videos are missing so we're not actually hearing their voice and seeing how their mannerisms and how they communicate with us this is all about building confidence and brand and, and trust so you know it's it's so valuable but a number of people a number of firms that are otherwise excellent at what they're doing and very very professional who are using really cheesy stock imagery because it was almost like an afterthought and, and probably not realise yeah. it by doing so, sort of what that means for their brand, what that means for the you know, perception of their brand. I was having a conversation with one financial planner on Friday and we had a quick scroll through his website. And I said, well, you know, something you could do to instantly improve your website and your brand is to put you know, personalised imagery on there, not use stock. And he said, how do you know you use a stock? Well, so we'll scroll down on your homepage, the one bottom left on that grid, it's got the Shutterstock watermark on still. <laughs> he hadn't realised that his <laughs> web developer had just screenshotted it on Shutterstock, probably breaking oh, no. all sorts of licensing terms. So that was a bit of a wake-up yeah. moment for him. He just yeah, hadn't spotted it. But my, my eye goes to it immediately now. You know, I, I, can, I can smell yeah. stock photography a mile off, and particularly when it's got the watermark left on it. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Well, look, um, thanks so much for coming on the show, Martin. I think that's been uh, that's been really interesting for me to, to see some of the ways you're tackling content creation from some kind of different angles, I guess. So thanks, thanks so much for your time. I really appreciate it. Absolute pleasure. And if anyone wants to get in touch with you, connect with you, what's the best way for them to do that? Yeah, I mean, check out the website, which is bearcontent.co.uk or on all of the socials, we are at bearcontentden. Awesome. I'll pop them in the show notes, guys. And um, yeah, thanks again, Martin. Thank you.